purple but I've switched to blue why because I realized that I was in my head I thought purple was my favorite color but then I was always gravitating towards this type of like teal like blue oh. and eventually I had to recognize that my favorite color had changed you told me once that navy looks good on everyone it does timed <laughs> out perfectly we did it okay so I have a question for you yes Okay, so you were tweeting some stuff that I thought was really good. Currently, as you record this, we're, like, in quarantine. And you were tweeting some really good stuff about, like, staying present and, like, mental health stuff related to the quarantine. Can you repeat here what you said on your Twitter? Well, it's been very interesting for me because um, I've spent my life afraid of contamination. Right. um, And also battling anxiety and uh, catastrophic thinking. So in a lot of ways, I have all of the coping skills necessary to deal with what is going on. Yeah, I thought it was really useful what you were posting. Yeah, so I, my main thing is, is that the anxiety about the situation isn't going to help and it's just going to wear you down and be bad for your immune system to be like so stressed and anxious. Mm-hmm. So the best thing that you can do is just like take the tangible tips that we all know, which is, you know, like basically staying inside. But if you have to go outside, washing your hands constantly, wiping things down, using Purell um, and not interacting with high risk people and social distancing and like all of the like cut and dry stuff. But then on top of that, it's how do you stop there? So, like, how do you not then spiral into, like, Cloroxing your whole body? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, for me, it's really just, like, okay, these are the things I'm going to do, and this is where I stop, and I'm just going to stay day to day. Like, I don't let my brain even go to, like, how long is this thing going to happen? And what have you been doing? Like, what? what can you explain the games you've been posting? <laughs> So Jake and I have created quarantine games. Uh, thank mm-hmm. you so much for asking. So every day of the quarantine, we've been posting an original game that you can play in your house or apartment. Yeah, say what those are. Um, okay, so the first one was Slap Mat, which is okay. where um, you're throwing a ball while you're sitting um, a, a certain distance from a yoga mat, and then you slap the ball with your hand and try to get on the yoga mat. Does someone stand on the other side and try to make sure the ball doesn't hit anything? Sure, that's a good idea. I mean, they're the thrower, so they're throwing you the ball. Oh, but got if it. you're alone, I recommend. Use a wall. Well, no, I recommend throwing the ball up as if you were serving in tennis. Got and it. And then you slap that ball onto that mat. Okay. Um, then we also have um, sock bowl, which okay. is where you set up a series of bowls of different sizes and spread them throughout um, a path and kind of like a zigzag pattern. Mm-hmm. And then you take an individual sock. So that's just one sock. You can't do a you can't do like two socks rolled into a ball. That'd uh-huh. be cheating because aerodynamically it's much harder to throw a loose sock. Um, and then you uh, you from a certain distance you throw the sock and you have to call like in pool what bowl you're going for. Okay, and the sock can't be bundled? It has to be no, a you loose can, sock? No, you can scrunch up an individual sock, but let me tell you, while that sock is soaring through the air, it's going to come unbundled. Not, if You're not allowed to fold it into no, a ball. No, you cannot fold Got it into it. a okay, ball, but okay. you can pre-scrunch. Okay, and because and that, it, you'll try to throw it hard, but it'll just float because it's just a sock. Well, it depends on your speed and your accuracy. Okay. You, that is the toughest of the games we've created so far. There's also hoop ball. Which is where your arms become a hoop and then you slowly or quickly are a moving target for whoever you're playing with. So you can be kind of just like scooting across the room either quickly or slowly. And then your partner has to try to get the ball into the hoops that is your arms. But you can also change how big the hoop is depending on how skilled they are. Can you change it midair? It's something you have to discuss with your partner. Okay. You know, you have to set up your own rules for hoop ball. <laughs> wow, 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 wow. Okay, well. But if you're alone, I would really recommend sock bowl. Okay, well, this is just between us, a variety <laughs> show filled with heartfelt advice. Ridiculous games. And brutal honesty. I let you say ridiculous games because apparently that's what you're all about. My dream, I've realized, is to just be a talk show host who then also plays a lot of games. You could write for one of those shows and, like, yeah, come up with games. Like, imagine, like, Harry Styles and, like, 
and like Elizabeth Warren playing sock bowl with like Kimmel. Well, I know, and they honestly they stole heavier light from me. They fucking stole yeah, heavier light did. from you. Who who took heavier light? I think it was Fallon. It was Fallon. Yeah. Fuck that. That was like we should sue. I know. So honestly, I feel like I I want to also be the host because doing this podcast, I really enjoy interviewing people. Yeah. Um, but then I also really enjoy being a game master. I mean, this is a talk show. Yeah. You're Conan. I'm Andy Richter. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what we have going on here. And um, once I get my degree, yeah. then I can. it can kind of be like a therapy like a base. Dr. Phil. A Dr. Phil, yes, with games. Okay, great. So my goal is to become Therapist Allison with games on a daytime talk show. Daytime talk show? Because you don't want to work late at night. Well, no, I just feel like, I don't know, I feel like nighttime talk shows are a little different. You want more of an Ellen vibe. Yeah, I want like an Ellen vibe. Or like, (laughs) I really enjoy, I don't watch it, but what Kelly Clarkson's doing seems fun and interesting. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, good for her. Yeah, I love that for her. Um, So this week we're going to be talking to writer Ashley C. Ford. We're going to be asking some tough questions. We're going to talk about her relationship, uh, and she talks a lot about race in her work, so we're going to talk about her interracial relationship. And later we'll be discussing social skills, which I'm an expert on because I took a class on it when I was 12. Yikes. But first, hit it! International question! International question! International question! Jude, Queens, New York. I love that name. Jude says, how do I get my mother to understand my mental illness is an actual health problem and not just a bad habit? Oh, no. I know. I'm 22 years old, and I've been suffering from an impulse control disorder called trichotillomania for nearly 10 years now. Also called hair pulling disorder, it's a mental disorder that involves recurrent irresistible urges to pull out hair from your scalp, eyebrows, or other areas of your body, despite trying to stop. Yep. Very real, very real thing. Uh, basically, let's see. It took my family a few years to notice what was going on, and my mom is constantly calling my mental illness a bad habit that I willingly engage in. She's also made comments and said that I am worse than a drug addict, that I won't be able to get a job, and that I won't be able to work with kids because they will think I'm a terrifying monster. I'm in grad school to become a speech pathologist and hoping to work in the public school system. It is very difficult to talk about this with her because she is immediately dismissive of it when I try to articulate my struggle and she says that I can just stop if I wanted to. Oh, boy. This rhetoric is deeply upsetting to me and triggers periods of depression and intensifies my urges to pull out my hair. Moving out is not an option for me for at least a few years. I can't afford it. It doesn't help that I'm from a cultural background where you typically live with your parents until you're married. As a grad student, therapy isn't something I can afford time or money-wise. I really appreciate any advice you guys can give me. Okay, let's break this down. Yeah, this is a very real disorder. And also, like, it is similar to addiction where I think people believe that it is something you can just stop. Mm -hmm. And if you don't deal with any sort of, like, addiction or, like, stimming behavior or things that, like, feel an an impossible urge to do, you can't really possibly understand it. Right. What is a stimming behavior? Uh, it's, it's something typically associated with autism, but it can be a lot of different people can use it. Um, and I do it. It's basically like where you have a repetitive motion that you like to do and oh, it that's calms like self-soothing. you. self-soothing? Self-soothing. Yeah. So I'll sometimes rub my legs together. I rub the back of my hand a lot as like a self-soothing behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, I've done it since I was a kid. Yeah, you do that over your weird vein. Yep. Yeah. She's I ha- got a I, protruding vein that she likes to massage. Yeah, I have to. Sometimes I have to because it calms me down. But I also I also rub my ankles together sometimes. So here's the thing. Your mom is not going to listen to you, which is why I think that we got to bring in some expert reading materials and videos and maybe this podcast. Oh, interesting. I wasn't thinking of that. Yeah. So I think that like, obviously, you've tried to have conversations with her but i think what you need to do now is turn to like medical articles about this disorder like like professional professional articles articles, send those to her like potentially like make her listen to this podcast yeah like find videos about it videos about it like you have to like educate her from not just your personal point of view but from the fact that this is like widely acknowledged from the medical community yes um and i also think that in order to like 
separate yourself a little bit from her, I think you have to just remind yourself that it's probably a generational disconnect. A lot of things weren't diagnosed. Like, a lot of things, like, in her generation, it was just like, yeah, you just have this, and like... you deal and, with it. Yeah, or, like, you know, they would be like, oh, a, a woman a woman would be depressed, and they would just be like, I don't know, something's wrong with that housewife anyway, and, like, yeah. move her on. Her uterus is moving around. Yeah, like, there was no... Uh, there's, like, these mental disorders were not... Di- they were around, but they weren't diagnosed, and they weren't taken seriously until very recently. And I think that you have to somehow figure out how to engage with her about this in a non-emotional way, which is very difficult. Mm-hmm. But I Cuz you feel cr- like you you feel like you can't trust your own reality when it's getting negated in front of your face all the time. Yeah, and it's also um like a learned habit not to get emotional in emotional situations. So, like, I don't know, maybe a year or two ago, my therapist told me that when I was talking to my manager, I had to not be emotional. Mm. And, like, it's hard. And it's hard, but I have to tell you that, like, since I've made that decision and since, like, when we talk about things that are frustrating to me, I, like, keep a calm voice and Mm -hmm. just am, like, sometimes I'll be like, well, this conversation isn't productive. Yes. (laughs) Instead of just, like, shouting or getting upset, you know? So I think that – Getting her outside resources and being like, look, it would mean a lot to me if you read about this and if you Mm -hmm. educated yourself about this. And if you still think that it's not real, then we'll agree to disagree. Yeah. But like make her like a booklet. Provide information about it. Because her telling you that it's not real doesn't make it not real. No, it just makes you mad at her and feeling like like attacked. Uh, your reality is still valid and still exists and it can't be based on whether or not she agrees with you or takes it seriously. Your worth and your like ability to stay calm and your ability to uh, to like take care of yourself, which you really need to do, which is really important when you have mental health problems, can't be based on anyone else. It has to just be like this very like internal thing. Like, okay, this person is never gonna support me. Fine, like I'll support myself. And I think in the meantime, we have to figure out some coping strategies for you and how to maybe get this thing under control. That's what I mean, yeah. So I would actually recommend that you <laughs> that you buy wrist weights. Oh. Like, I think you can buy these things that you, like, wrap around your wrist that are, like, for exercising, but, like, like two pounds on each hand. Yeah. Or whichever hand you you mostly pick with. And I think that the fact that having those weights on is going to decrease your behavior. Interesting, because you'll notice when you're lifting your hand. Yeah, you'll notice when you're lifting your hand. It's less fun because it's, like, hard. That was, like, the – with self-harm for me, the thing of having a, a – Rubber band? A rubber band on your wrist that you can just smack against your wrist. Yeah, so I would – That was helpful I for would me. look into those weights. I would also look into things to busy your hands with. So That's like, the rubber band. Yeah, like – but that, that still involves, like, a little bit of pain, so – Yeah, keep it sexy. <laughs> Like, you could look into knitting. You mm. can look into just, like, doodling. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you can potentially, like, just find something that you, like, a crochet. Like, there's a lot of different things that you can do with your hands. Yeah. Um, I think the weights might be the most helpful, but it's a little weird. <sighs> I know. Um, and then, obviously, this is something that's getting triggered by anxiety. Yeah. So how do we get your anxiety under control? Meditation app. Meditation app. I think that, again, I think that a lot of times just like reading about this stuff and like recognizing that you're not alone. You're not alone. Finding message boards or finding other people who have this. YouTube is a great resource for like I watch a lot of bipolar YouTubers. And like figuring out what your triggers are for this behavior. So then you can like recognize when you're encountering your triggers. And maybe Mm -hmm. that's when you go get your knitting. That's when you go put the weights on your wrist. Yeah. You know, and just like kind of being more in tune with it. Yeah. Um, But I also don't think that like you need to feel like, oh, this is just me. I'm going to have this forever. Yes. Because there might be flare-ups in the future, but I also think that you can get it under control. Um, and now, yeah. now is the time, you know, like you're young, like you're, you know, you're not, you're not working full time yet. Like this can be your big project, especially during quarantine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, you're also, um, if you relapse, it's okay. Oh, yeah, definitely. But like, it's just then like figuring out like what caused you to relapse. Yeah, and that don't next beat time yourself you up like, over it. You can recognize when you need to self-soothe more than before it gets out of control. Yeah. Um, but I, I think for the most part, you present your mom with that information. You say, please read this. If you respect me, I really want you to read this. If she still doesn't believe it, then I think you stop talking about it with her. 
Yeah, and if she brings it up, I mean, it's hard to set boundaries with parents, believe me, but if she brings it up to you, you have to say, I don't want to discuss this. Yeah, and also it might feel weird not to discuss something so important with your mom, but different people provide different resources, and your mom might just be someone who can't go to with this. Yeah. And like, so you have, find someone else you can go to with it. A friend or a message board or a, yeah, an you, online you know, community. YouTuber, something. Well, you can also set up um, like a behavior modification system for yourself where you have like either negative punishment or positive like positive rewards. So like you can do like, okay, I'm going to have to sit down. I'm going to have to study for the next two hours. If I don't pick, then I get blank. Yeah, then you know, I get like then a I get to have candy ice cream. Bar, yeah. Or if positive reinforcement doesn't work for you, you could be like, if I do pick, then I can't watch my favorite TV show. Yeah. You know, so like you can kind of like take control of this thing and like kind of set up this this like behavior program for yourself. Yeah. And I think that you kind of like instead of like focusing on your mom getting it or not getting it, you can focus on you like making positive steps towards like getting it under control. Mm -hmm. Because that's kind of what a therapist would do anyway. Yeah. And like um, also so like look like look up behavior modification, you know, like do some research, like kind of like MacGyver this for yourself right Mm -hmm, now, because mm -hmm. I get that you can't afford therapy. I get your mom is not being a support system. So you got to just kind of like step up to the plate and and face this thing head on, which Mm -hmm. is scary, but it's definitely, definitely doable. Yeah. I'm sorry. I think with mental illness, people are like, just stop it. Mm -hmm. It's like, well... I would if I could. Yeah, but also take the responsibility off your shoulders of, like, explaining mental illness to your mom. Yeah. You know, like, I think you should, like, present her with the information like we talked about. But other than that, like, it's just, like, if she doesn't get it, she doesn't get it. And you just got to move on. Mm -hmm. I agree. (laughs) All right. Well, hopefully that was helpful. And hopefully they sell uh, wrist weights on Amazon. Um, (laughs) No, not Amazon. Not Amazon. Okay. But what else is going to be open anymore? I don't know. Uh, if you want to submit your international question during this pandemic, <laughs> uh, please send it to justbetweenuspod at gmail.com. That's justbetweenuspod at gmail.com. Up next, we've got a juicy interview with our highly esteemed guest, Ashley C. Ford. Just between us. Hey! Just between us. Welcome back. Just between us, it's time for the juiciest, most scandalous, controversial segment known to all of podcasting, Tough Questions. This week, our guest is Ashley C. Ford. Hello, Ashley. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, thank you for being here. Can you tell our audience who you are and what you do? For sure. Okay. I'm Ashley C. Ford, and I'm a writer and a podcast host, and I do speaking stuff, and I'm on the internet. That's true. We did just say that we love your Twitter very much. Uh, the people should should absolutely follow it. I think so. It's I Smash Fizzle, right? Yes, I Smash Fizzle. Obviously. Yeah. How could you How, not know that? I know. If you guys don't know that, get on the internet. Where have you been? We have nothing but time. Uh, so, so we wanted to talk to you because you write about race a lot and you also write about relationships a lot. Um, and we love love on this show. I love love. Uh, and so we want to talk about how you met your husband and your re- and your relationship, if that's cool. Sure. We met in a class. Uh, it was a seminar in college set up like a production company. And uh, a professor who I really liked, but who always gave me bad grades. Um, well, you know, I earned those bad grades, to be fair. Um, she like convinced me to take this class. I took it. I was one of like the heads of the production company in the class. And Kelly was my uh, employee. I love that. Nice. And I hope that so set up the power it, dynamic the, for the rest of the relationship. I, I mean, <laughs> it pretty much did. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, but we didn't start dating then. Like I was actually seeing someone I was involved, back involved with an ex-boyfriend. Big mistake. Mm-hmm. Don't do it. Don't go back. Um, and I didn't notice that Kelly liked me. He liked me immediately, <laughs> apparently. And uh, that checks out because his friends have told me that <laughs> he met me and was very much like, I really like this girl. Um, but I didn't know. He, at the time, Kelly was, he's, my husband's about 6'2", but, and now he's probably about 200, 215 pounds, 
But at the time, Kelly was really skinny, like really skinny. And he already looks kind of young, so he looked even younger. <laughs> and then he actually is three years younger than me. Oh, wow. So, uh, yeah. So I was like, I don't know. He And he has like a kind of a Southern accent. We drove a pickup truck. So I was like, you know, he looks like he's looking for Taylor Swift in a woman. And yeah. that ain't me. Can you, so, what, what are your different backgrounds? Like, where did you each grow up? I mean, we both grew up in Indiana. But, you know, I grew up in um, the city of Fort Wayne, Indiana, and on what would, you know, graciously be called the black side of town. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was all, I grew up around black people constantly. My high school was 90% black. <laughs> um, and I like, for me, college was a like culture shock. Yeah. It was the first time I was um, a minority in my community. Mm. in in the in the way of race it was the very first time what was that um, like so that's how i found out why people were crazy <laughs> yeah yeah um, explain like what was that like first of all you know what's weird coming from that the environment that i came from like i like obviously you know certain history and you know about racism but that sort of racism doesn't feel like it exists for you mm-hmm. in the environment that i grew up in And so going to college was the first time I had a conversation with a white person who then told me, you're the first black person I've ever like sat down and had a conversation with. And that happened the first semester of my freshman year. And I was like, yeah, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do this. Like, (laughs) I don't know if college is for me. Uh, It's wild. Like having people at like I never had people ask me about my hair really before like going home and getting like my hair straightened and coming back and having people be like, what happened? (laughs) Like, what did you do? And like, are y'all for real? Like, and I was really like, are these people for real? Like, I I think that's what it was for a long time. I just didn't know if people were like for real or like an elaborate Um, prank. That was my experience. Yeah. A little bit. So that was my experience coming from where I grew up to college. Kelly's was probably the exact opposite. Mm -hmm. Uh, Kelly had, he grew up in a, you know, what would be called a a well-to-do suburb, I guess, in, uh, outside of Indianapolis. Kelly grew up kind of weird. Say more? In that, that, like, you know, he, he grew up in a very, you know, very middle-class home, Um, his mom, uh, has always been the breadwinner, um, and his dad has always worked and he's, he has a younger sister and, you know, they've never really, at least as far as, as far as, as long as Kelly's been alive, they haven't really struggled Mm -hmm. ever. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. they've been able to like keep that middle-class thing going. Um, so that's really all he knows as a person. Um, but what they come from is a little bit more hillbilly. (laughs) And so, and so Kelly, you know, grew up, I have a freezer, you know, we're in the pandemic and I have a half a freezer full of venison because my husband shot that deer (laughs) in November and they processed it and we brought it home. (laughs) And so I have a half a freezer full of deer right now. So like he's like does stuff like that. And like our first date was four wheeling. Um, he took me like on the ATV in the mud. How did you, um, how did you feel did about that. that? I loved it. Aww. I've always loved stuff like that and never really gotten to do much of it. Yeah. Especially growing up because I just didn't know a lot of people who like would have an ATV or went mudding. Like I wasn't exactly, you know, I, like I said, it was 90% black people like camo was a thing ironically (laughs) we were only wearing camo because Aaliyah wore it in the video you know what I'm saying not because we were trying to hide in the bushes and catch anything (laughs) so uh (laughs) so that's what he comes from right doing stuff like that but then on the other side of that his aunt uh used to be the president of the Los Angeles uh County Museum of Art and so he spent every summer in L.A. from the time he was about five years old oh, wow. in, like, the art world in L.A. That's very <laughs> different with, than hillbillies you know, in and Indiana. With, like, it's, so he just has this very, very interesting 
background. Um, and I have just like a weird background because I was like, you know, this like very normal black chick, you know, from Fort Wayne, Indiana, who just liked to do weird things and couldn't really be stopped. Was Kelly the first white guy you dated? No, no. As far as like boyfriends, he is the second white boyfriend. Okay. I've ever had. Yeah, he's, yeah, I've had two white boyfriends. One bad, one good. (laughs) Kelly was the good one. So for you, like, that wasn't a hesitation at all when you were getting to know him? Um, I mean, it's always a little bit of a hesitation. Mm -hmm. Because the problem is, is that any black person for the most part, for the most part, especially when we got together, which I often tell people, I don't know if Kelly and I would have gotten together, like, in the like post-2016 or even like post-2014. Oh, really? Honestly. Why? Yeah, I don't know if I would have been open and available and enough like to be like, yeah, I'll give it a shot, little <laughs> white guy. Um, because like white men have really been showing their asses. Like they've been showing their asses for all of history. Yeah. But lately... It's kind of like, like, they want you to look at the hole. Like, it's not even just like ass cheeks no more. It's like they spread at the ass cheeks and they're like, no, you're going to stare right into my hole. That's how I feel about it. Yeah. That's how I feel about you. And it's just really hard, I I think, for me right now to, like, encounter um, a white guy in a romantic sense mm-hmm. or feel like it's even a possibility it's all it's almost like why set yourself up you see what they out here doing you yeah. see they just want to they want you to look into the ass so why would you set yourself up like and i know that that like that can't be true <laughs> for every single white dude like it's just not yeah you know because i remember we've talked about this a little bit what where like kelly was mm-hmm. sort of pursuing you more and you were a little bit oh, more yeah. like you, so what was that? I was a little bit more reluctant. Yeah. That had that didn't have much to do with his race. Like at the like uh, we got to we got together during the Obama years. Like <laughs> hope and change, anything's possible. Like I was not really worried. Like I was concerned about things like you always ask like how are your parents going to feel about this? Like cuz you don't even want to start getting kind of serious mm-hmm. about somebody if they know that like their parents are going to be like, yeah, don't bring her home. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Um, And Kelly was very honest. Like Kelly was like, I've never dated a black woman before, but my parents have always been very clear about me. Like I can bring whoever home as long as they're not stupid. Oh, that's that's a good rule of thumb. Right. <laughs> yeah, people always ask if, so, if my parents would care if I dated a Jewish guy. And I'm like, they don't care as long as he's not a Republican. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Like, <laughs> it's like people just have different stuff that they're like, yeah, I don't, I don't want to mess with that. Uh, but yeah, he pursued me in terms of, you know, we, when we were in college, uh, we, and I always say it was like, we were not dating officially. We were fooling around. Uh, we liked each other. Uh, but Kelly got an internship in New York and I hated the idea of living in New York. So I Which was is like, where you live now. New York. That is totally where we live now, where we've <laughs> lived for six years. Um, <laughs> but I was like, I do not want to, I, I have no desire to go to New York. And, but he did. He really wanted to like live here. He wanted to make a career here. And he came here and he did his internship and did not have a great time and left being like, Fuck New York. <laughs> I will oh. I never want to go back to New York. Um, and I was living in Indianapolis and he moved to Seattle. Uh, we were talking on the phone a bunch and I thought we were just talking as friends because we had, you know, done our little romantic thing. And then he just kind of never, we never talked about it again. And he never really brought it up and I wasn't bringing it up. And I thought it was done. And I was at a place where I was really trying to work on myself you know, I was reading a lot of Brene Brown. Mm-hmm. Um, and then one day he showed up on my doorstep and Stop. he was smoking a cigarette and I opened the door and I was like, hey, and he put out the cigarette. This is so dramatic, guys. He put out the cigarette and he 
came over to me and he kissed me. Stop and, it! Oh my god, it's yeah. so beautiful. And then he stopped kissing me, and I was just looking at him, and he went, "Are you seeing anybody?" <laughs> wow! I was like, uh, "No." And we've been together since then. So oh that's how. What that's lit a, what lit a fire under his ass? Dating. Why all of a sudden? You know, this is okay. This is a whole other story, but it's really funny. Um, I have a really good friend named Trent. I had been talking to Trent about moving into his apartment in Denver because he lived in Denver. I was living in Indianapolis. I was tired of being in Indianapolis. Like mm-hmm. I was in a dead end career. I was working at a call center mm-hmm. at the time. Like it was terrible. And Trent was like, come, come to Denver. I can house you. Like I can feed you. We can find you a job and we can just get you, you know, a fresh start. Mm-hmm. And I was called Kel because, you know, we're friends. And Kel has always been such an adventurer. He's always loved an adventure. He's always loved going off and trying something new. And I've always loved that about him. Mm-hmm. And so I thought he would be so excited about me going on this adventure and starting over in Denver, Colorado. And he was like, I don't think you should go. (laughs) And I was like, what? And he was like, I don't think you should move in with Trent in Denver. And I was like, why not? And he was like, I just don't, I just don't think you should go. I don't think you should do that. I I think, you know, and I was like, well, what else am I going to do? You know? And he couldn't really say what else I should do. And I thought he was just being weird. I was like, why would he not want me to go to Denver? And it didn't occur to me that he didn't realize that um, my friend Trent is totally gay. (laughs) And he thought I had been talking to this guy who was then like, yeah, just move in with me. And that I was going to move in with some guy in Denver. He was like, no. What an amazing miscommunication. That's led to a wonderful marriage. (laughs) Right? So it was like really getting to him. And then he had a conversation with his best friend and his best friend was like, man, you don't go out. Like we've tried to get you to go out. We've tried to get you to go on dates. Like we've tried to get you to do it. Like, what is the deal? And Kelly was like, I don't know. And his friend was like, okay, but every time I come home, you're on the phone with Ashley. Mm. Why are you always on the phone with Ashley? And then he was like, I don't know. And then he was like, wait a minute. (laughs) Wait a minute. I'm in love with Ashley. (laughs) And I guess as soon as he figured that out, he called his parents and said, hey, I need to come home for a little bit. Um, Because they also were living in, you know, right outside of Indianapolis. And he got off the plane and went home and got his mom's car and drove to me. What are what are some things that like you felt like oh I have to teach him this or he doesn't know this about because like you see on um on TV a lot I've seen definitely like uh like black women having to show their white boyfriends that they you know they sleep with their hair covered and things like that. <laughs> Sometimes I wonder if a lot of the the usual tropes of interracial relationships on TV and in movies don't actually come from people who are imagining what they think interracial relationships would be like, um, Mm -hmm. especially with a white person versus what they're actually like. But I also can't speak for anybody else. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't know what it was like for anybody, for any other black women um, to date white men. But uh, Kelly, Kelly is just not the kind of person who I would have to sit down and be like, this is why I do this this way, or this is why black people do this this way. Kelly, for the most part, is so curious on his own (laughs) that those are things in one way or another, in a lot of cases, those are concepts he's already encountered. Like Kelly may have come from a really very white background. I mean, he's white, y'all. Don't get me wrong. Like, <laughs> but he, but he's never been a person who sequestered himself from cultures and ideas outside of the one he was living, mm-hmm. and not just in a superficial way of just like the consumption of like pop culture ephemera. Like, Kelly's read a lot of books yeah. <laughs> by Black people, and he's watched a lot of films by Black people, and he listens to a lot of music by Black people, and he has always had friends who were outside of 
you know, his direct, you know, racial makeup or anything like that. Like it wasn't, I might have been the first black girl he ever dated or the first woman of color at all he ever dated, but I wasn't Kelly's first like interaction Mm -hmm. in any capacity with having like a friendship or some sort of like um, connection Mm -hmm. with somebody who's not white. Right. And he's just a thoughtful person. I think a lot of times, like the thing is, it's like Kelly just, thinks before he speaks like I don't I don't know if that I don't know if that's so rare that's the best advice it shouldn't be rare but I guess it is (laughs) he just he just stops and goes you know what let me change that or let me think about why my brain went there Mm -hmm. and let me interrogate that in myself before I bring that into anybody else's space and that's good advice for anybody Mm -hmm. like everybody should do that yeah yeah especially me especially (laughs) me i'm not great at it was was trump's election like a particularly difficult part in that like what it meant for you moving forward versus what it meant for him Uh, in some capacities yes when trump got elected kelly and i were not married or engaged Mm. we were living together, but we were not like, you know, we had not made that sort of like decision yet that like, this is a forever thing. Not that you have to get married to make that decision or engage, but that wasn't a decision that we had really been like, Hey, is this like, is this like what we're doing? Yeah. <laughs> Even though you because were living we're those, together? Because we're those kind of people. Every decision we made when it came to like becoming more intimate or entwining our lives even more was sort of like, you know, let's not talk about it until it's what we want. It's like, let's move in together because that's what we want and we'll give it our best shot. And, and so when the election happened, first of all, like I, I shit you not. I told Kelly last night, maybe, yeah, I think it was last night, that when the election happened, I remember being so scared in my body. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I, I went to sleep while the results were coming in, and I, I literally fell asleep. I was just bored, and I thought, oh, it'll be, you know, whatever, and fell asleep. And I woke up suddenly, and he was sitting there staring at the TV and I was like, something bad happened. Mm. And he looked at me and he was like, oh God, I was just hoping you'd sleep till morning. <laughs> he was like, I was just hoping you'd sleep till morning. I didn't, I don't, I didn't want to tell you. <laughs> and I was like, no. And he was like, yeah. And I felt so scared. Like, in my, like I started to shake. I felt so scared in my body. But then I looked at him and I was like, oh, my God, I don't want to be anywhere else. I don't like I don't want anybody else to be here. I don't feel like there's somebody else I need to call or be with or know what's happening to them. It's like I looked at him and I'm like, this is it. This is like the only this is the most important thing. It puts things in perspective. It definitely did. But then, you know, you start thinking about the implication of what has just happened and how that can change life Mm -hmm. for so many people, not just me, my God, like for the most part, I'm going to be all right, but so many people are not going to be all right. And how do we help mitigate that? Like, how do we help you know, lessen that blow, you know, because the blow is coming. How do we just soften that impact? What can we do? And Kelly was like, Kelly is a white, cis, straight, tall, attractive man in America with a safety net. Mm -hmm. Like not a personal safety net, but at the end of the day, Kelly can always go home and home is a safety net. And I knew that what I was feeling and with the experiences that I've had as a black woman in America, that he could not understand how scared I was. And that for me was fine because I also knew Kel and I knew that 
no matter what's going on, he's not going to leave me to face it on my own. And that's and that to me was so much more important than whether or not he could feel what I feel. It was that he was going to be down either way. He didn't need to feel how I feel to understand that how I feel is valid Mm -hmm. and that I deserve protection and love and comfort and concern and justice as much as anybody else. Like those aren't things I had to teach him, mm-hmm. you know? And that's why I think being in like an interracial relationship sometimes, like for me, the conversations that happen, I'm like, I don't recognize the problem. Yeah, it's, it comes down to the individual. I think sometimes people think it's yeah. inevitable, um, but it comes down to the person. As a bisexual, uh, when I was, uh, when the Harvey Weinstein stuff was going on, Uh, It was very hard for me to be, I was in a relationship with a guy and it was very hard for me to be in a relationship with a guy. And I assumed that all bisexuals felt that way. And I was like, all of us are going to break up with our boyfriends and date women because like men are, as you said, showing their whole asses. And uh, so I was like making a lot of jokes like, oh, like we, who would date men? Like as a bisexual, you got to choose to date a woman at this time or whatever. And, (laughs) and, but then I got a lot of blowback from bisexuals who were like, Honestly, like my boyfriend is a great person who makes me feel safe. And I was like, oh, right. Mm -hmm. Like I'm it's my personal experience of men and not um, like a universal sort of thing. And I think I see that, too, with, uh, you know, with like a, a lot of black women that are married to white men, I think get I see comments on Instagram or like even like friends of mine who uh, like I'm thinking specifically of an of an Asian woman friend of mine who uh, was dating a white guy and posted oh, they get it worse. posted a picture of the white guy and all the comments were like, oh, blah, white boyfriend or whatever. Like, what yep. do you what do you do when stuff like that happens for you? Oh, I don't know that. First of all, that doesn't happen to me a whole lot. Um, like it's not a consistent issue that I deal with, but when it does happen, it is really, really hard for me to give a shit. (laughs) Like anybody looking at a picture of me and we are fucking adorable. If you look at us and all you see is a black woman with a white man, you're not even looking at us. Mm -hmm. If that's all you see, you're not looking at me. You're looking at a projection Mm -hmm. of your own feelings about interracial relationships or white men or white people or whatever. And maybe you come by those feelings, honestly, (laughs) like maybe if I knew the context of your life, I'd be like, yeah, understandable Mm -hmm. (laughs) that you feel that way. But that doesn't make it reasonable. Mm-hmm. I don't have to consider your comment or opinion as if you brought reason <laughs> into the conversation. That's not what's happened here. <laughs> what's happened here is you've made your feelings about something known, and that doesn't have shit to do with me, like yeah. at all. It's just one of those things where I'm like, hey, man, like if you don't like it, I I am very easy to ignore on the internet. I am not a Kardashian. I'm not everywhere. <laughs> Speaking of um, unreasonable, would you like to play a game show? Yes. Okay, great. Because this uh, this game show, Hypotheticals, where you and Gabby are the contestants, is not based in reality at all. Um, I'm going to give you <laughs> some hypothetical situations. You guys can ask as many questions as you want, and then tell me what you would do in those scenarios. And then I decide if I like your answer or not. <laughs> um, so our first game is America's favorite game show, Would You Stay With This Cheater? <laughs> You find out your spouse of 72 years spent the first year of your marriage cheating on you with your cousin. But after 52 weeks of cheating, they then spent the next 71 years being completely devoted to you. Would you stay with this cheater until you die in the next three to seven years, probably? When did I get married? Uh, You're in your 20s. You're in your 90s now. Oh, my God. Ashley, thoughts? Hmm. Hmm. Do I like them now? You, you did, yeah. What happened to I the cousin? I did until I found this out. Right, well, yeah. Like, before you found this out, you guys had a really lovely marriage, and he was still pretty fit, so he could, like, carry groceries and stuff. Wow, wow. You're very frail. <laughs> what What happened to the cousin? Um, They just decided that, that what they were doing was wrong, and also the cousin moved to Spain. 
And that's where the cousin lives now? The cousin's been dead for years. <laughs> okay, that's actually helpful. Super helpful. Um, I would definitely stay. Because I'm thinking about lifespans. That gives me so much time to slowly, slowly poison them. (laughs) Oh, my God. And no one would even know because they're old. old. If they just died, it'd be like, yeah, he died. No one's going to do an autopsy on a person that old. Mid-90s? Yeah, who cares? Like, I just gave this person, like, they're like, oh, yeah, there's some arsenic in there. But who knows what old people eat? Wow. Honestly, you win. That's 17 points for you. That's the perfect answer. (laughs) Okay, our next game. Are they an alien or just rude? You get home from work early and find your dog walker inside your apartment, walking around on all fours, acting like a dog. (laughs) (laughs) When you ask what they are doing, the dog walker is horrified that you don't know. He says you have to... Quote, get on a dog's level for at least half an hour a day or the dog will become depressed. Before leaving, he tells you that if you don't start doing this for your dog's happiness, you don't deserve to have a pet. Are they an alien or just rude? Um, how tall are they? Uh, 6'3". Interesting question. Very interesting. Why? So, so all in all fours at 6'3", I just find that a hilarious sight. <laughs> oh, you were just like, me. I just want more visual comedy. I don't really care to solve this problem. <laughs> How long have I known this person? It's your dog walker, so you actually have rarely interacted with them because they're often there when you're not home. Right. But um, they've been your dog walker for seven months. And when you look back on your like security cameras, every day they have been acting like a dog. Is it? Is this is my a- dog happier? Yeah, actually... You thought it was because they were getting out of the house more, but maybe it's because of this. And are they playing with the dog when they do it or just doing it? Oh, yeah, they're acting like a dog. So, like, they'll, like, have a chew toy and then they'll play tug of war with their teeth with your dog. Okay, so they are playing with the dog. Yeah. Okay. I like how my answer to that was you were like, okay, so very reasonable that they're playing <laughs> mouth to mouth. No, definitely just rude. They're just rude? No, they've, they've got it. They're just rude. They just got to be rude. A lot of times I've found people who are that into animals, that person usually has no country for actual people. Mm. Like that person is usually like, yeah, no, you know who should rule the world? Dogs. Like it's those people. Well, I have to break it to you guys. What? It is not. It's a person. It's not alien, but it is a reincarnated dog. What? Yeah. <laughs> Wait, that wasn't one of the options. That wasn't one of the options. Well, he used to be a beautiful lab who loved to play. Uh, and he was such a good dog that he became a person this round, and now he's trying to spread the message. And he was, and, <laughs> and he remembers his past life. Yeah. Okay, our final game. Would you lie or tell the truth? Okay. After five years of painfully working on a novel, your significant other finally lets you read it, and you realize it is the exact same plot as Minority Report. (laughs) 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 Your significant other has never seen Minority Report and has no idea that they unintentionally ripped off a blockbuster. When they ask what you think, would you lie or tell the truth? Okay, now hold on. Ripped it off how, like, the names are the same? Like, everything is the same? Every plot point is the same. And the rules of the world are the exact same. But the names of the characters are the same? No, that's different. Oh, okay. So it's just the plot. The exact plot. Wow. (laughs) I didn't see it for years because I thought it was about minorities, and I didn't understand why Tom Cruise would then be believed. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I once had to pick from a list of films to like write a paper on and I'd like never heard of any of the films and then I misread the title of a film as White Man Can't Jump and thought it was like going to be like some cultural introspe- like introspective movie <laughs> and it was White Men Can't Jump and it was about basketball <laughs> I love that movie. Yeah, we know that. Wow, wow, wow. Wow. Okay, well, uh, I'm going to say I I would tell the truth. I would sit them down and make them watch Minority Report. Oh, wow. Ashley? I would definitely tell him. I would have to. I would have to. 
Listen, my husband is a writer. He's a poet and a, a novelist and a fiction writer. He would never forgive me if he heard it from somebody else. And somebody else would definitely tell him. Don't you think? Yeah. I don't know. He's a white man. People might just be like, we love it. We love your reimagining of Minority Report. <laughs> yeah. That's exactly the same. <laughs> it, gets, it gets like a movie deal before it's even published. They let him direct it, even though he's never directed anything in his life. Who knows what their lives uh, are like? Their lives so are magical. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us, Ashley. Where can people find more of your work? AshleyC4.com. It'll lead you to everywhere I am and everywhere else you can hide from me. <laughs> Amazing. Thank you so much. Stick around after the break. We'll be talking all about social skills. Welcome back to Just Between Us. It's time for Topics. X, 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 So I want to talk about social skills yeah. because as someone who grew up having very poor social skills, mm-hmm. I've had to really work on mine and um, it's become apparent that other people don't. Mm-hmm. And what do you mean? Like, I'm always thinking about things like if I'm in a group and someone's, like, on the edge of the group, like, making sure that, like, yes. how do we include them into the group? Is that social skills? I think so. I guess it's part of socializing, yeah. Yeah, or, like, if someone's talking, like, making sure I'm actively listening. Mm-hmm. Like, I take active listening very seriously, mm-hmm. and um, I never want someone to feel, like, that they're not being heard. So, like, a lot of times I'll say something and no one will respond. <laughs> right, sure. But if you say something, I will 100% give you a, uh-huh, or, like, yes. totally. Like, I always make sure that, like, the last said thing is acknowledged in okay. some way. I don't like, and I think maybe I do this, but I don't like when I'm talking and someone every five seconds is like, yep, yep, yep. I'm like, no, let me finish and then say yes. Well, I think it's them letting you know that that they're listening. I know. But then sometimes I'm like, you're throwing me off, bud. All right. Well, I feel personally attacked. Um. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Here's the thing. I have a problem. I have, I have a trouble with this. Um, that's it. That's skills? the thing. Yeah. Yeah, I have trouble with it. Uh, I think that I assume that everyone can take care of themselves. And that is not true. No. Like, I kind of go like, I'm fine. So other people are fine. Mm -hmm. And that's largely not true. Fine in what sense? Like a lot of times I'll be like, well, I used to, I I will, if I have something to tell you, I'll tell you. I don't need you to say what's going on or how are you. Mm -hmm. I'll just be like, walk into a room and be like, here's the thing. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people, turns out, need you to go, how are you? Or what's going on? Right. And I'm like, why? Because if you want to tell me, just tell me. But see, that's incorrect. That's not I know how it's it incorrect. Works. I know it's incorrect. Because part of social skills is learning to not offload on people without their first letting you. I guess. If someone might not want to hear everything about your day, so you have to wait for them to ask. My assumption then would be that for them to go, not now. But that's rude. So, like, I don't mind rudeness. Right. But that's part of why you are rude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I have this thing where, like, I know that there's very much, like, Women shouldn't be forced to be friendly. Women shouldn't be forced to smile. But also, I deeply feel that, like, it's on us to be nice to each other and be friendly. Mm-hmm. And, like, I, like, not just women specifically at all, but, like, I Everyone. just, yeah, I just think that, like, the society is so much better when people are friendly and polite. And, like, one of my professors was talking about this guy who, like, survived a suicide attempt off the um, Golden Gate Bridge. He said that, like, all he wanted while walking to the bridge was just for someone to, like, acknowledge him and just, like, either, like, ask how he was or, like, say hello or just, like, anything. And he got nothing and so he jumped. And, like, I think about that a lot. (sighs) But why is it on other people? 
because we live in a society. You're not a woman alone on an island. And I think that this virus right now is proving that more than ever. Yeah, totally. That, like, this is, like, social skills right now is isolation and social distancing. But also, I'm hyper aware of what people need. So sending money, sending, like, offering to go get groceries and, like, a lot of, like, my neighbors are, like, on an email chain now. Like, all of a sudden, it's this thing of, like, you you know, the kind thing would be to, like, leave your neighbors alone. Like, I'm like, don't knock on my door. Leave me alone. But then now it's like, hey, e- send an email to the whole block or, like, post on the, you know, next door app being like, what do people need? What's going on? Mm-hmm. In a way that, like, probably would have been nice beforehand but instead was like people were like is that awkward to do i don't know well i like i think that it's always better to just have someone be like wow they were really nice like yeah then like oh they were cold and distant i am scared of being nice yeah but i I don't want to leave an opening Okay, but like, so so some social skills I think are like a lot of times someone will be talking and then they get interrupted and they don't get to finish their story. So then I like to go back and be like, what, what did were you, you saying? Yes, totally. I love to do that. Yeah, so that's like, I think people feel very seen when you do that. I love to do that. So that's a really good suggestion that I would give. Yes. Um, I also think. Invite people to things. Yeah, inviting people to things, not intentionally leaving people out of stuff. I also think that if you have, like, social anxiety, it can be very helpful to have, like, these set of, like, guidelines that you follow. Mm-hmm. So, like, you're not just, like, going into, like, interactions blind, mm-hmm. but you're like, okay, I will smile and sh- in 2019, shake your hand. Yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. you know? And then, like, I, you know, I think it's always good to, like, ask people questions and, like, yeah, you know. Um, I had to learn. I had to follow a script. Right. I don't know what that means. Let's not diagnose me right now. But I definitely had to learn to follow a script. Like, Mm -hmm. it didn't occur to me because I don't care if people are short with me. I don't really – it doesn't bother me if someone's very blunt. It doesn't bother me if someone just says yes and doesn't say anything else. Like, it doesn't bother me when people are short. I don't care if someone uses an exclamation point in an email. I really don't. Mm -hmm. But other people really care and, like, really hold on to – Uh, So a lot of times when I – my instinct is to respond, sure. And I'm like, okay, wait, no. Like, I would be fine with this, but most people aren't. So then I'm like, sure, exclamation point. Thank you, period. Like, you know what I mean? And that's you learning a social skill. Yes, it's not my natural instinct. I'm very – like, people – when I see people on Twitter be like, oh, my God, if someone writes back, okay, ugh, they hate you. And I'm like – or they just are writing okay. Like, I never – it would never occur to me to be – to to read into that or to or to think that someone is reading into it from me but that's the world <laughs> but that, that's i think a big part of social skills is learning what's true for the majority even if it's not true for you yeah so like you know even just like noticing when you're dominating a conversation yeah you know like i think a lot of times i see people talking and like people are barely interacting like they're barely listening Mm -hmm. you can tell that it's like gone on for way too long and nobody cares and i can see people just like not have that recognition Mm -hmm. whereas like i've like had to learn that like if i'm talking and nobody seems to care i wrap it up Mm -hmm. or i don't intentionally go for that long like i always try to like tell my stories as quickly as possible yeah there's definitely a succinctness to things that uh people don't do i wish that there was better social etiquette for texting and how to end a text conversation yes like i don't know what is appropriate and how to end it and so a, a lot thumbs of, up but like <laughs> you know like i i get that's where i feel i feel like in-person interactions i'm finding and capable based yeah. on my training and obsession of paying attention to stuff sure but like texting i like truly don't know how to end something politely or how to like like i feel like some people will be like okay i'm like about to go drive but it's been good talking to you. And like, for some reason, I have a hard time doing that. But I think that's like what I need to do. Like, I think I'll feel better if I'm like, acknowledge that the conversation is over. Yeah. Versus just like, fading in away or like mm-hmm. sending the thumbs, you know, like I get like anxiety about like, how long is this going to go on for? I do three okay symbols. Done. Out. Oh, great. Let me say this. It's been kind of a little bit of a gift to be, I don't want to be say to be seen as rude, but like, because it filters 
out bullshit <laughs> and it filters out people who can't handle it. And it's also like my partner's very sweet. Like Mal is so sweet. Mal is so open. They're like they have a face where like strangers just want to like talk to them. And they're so like kind and sweet that they they just let it go on. And like whatever I'm giving off is like don't fucking talk to me. So I like I won't get into these situations. Like people will like People Mal barely knows will, like, call them and be like, you're my best friend. And Mal's like, I don't even know you. And, like, nobody does that. Like, I am efficient. Like, nobody's wasting my time. I have no emotional vampires. And and Mal is just, like, a feeding ground for that. Well, I think that that's a big social skill that's really tricky is that, like, how do you know when you're overstepping? And, like, I yeah. think that a lot of times the fear of overstepping keeps people with social anxiety from interacting at all. Right. Whereas then there's like so I think that the 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 way to combat that is like you interact but then you like do those check-ins. Yeah. Where like if you want to call someone you call and you go is this a good time? Yeah, totally. Or like if you got to go like just let me know. If like my dad called me and said is this a good time? I would be like an alien has taken over his body. <laughs> <laughs> what? Who are you? Like that's how I would know he was kidnapped. Or you even text ahead of time and be like hey are you free if I call you right now? Yeah, you know yeah. like you get like I think that that really helps so that like you like I said just are always giving people an out. But everyone got mad when that person on Twitter tweeted the thing about check before you emotionally dump on someone. Why did people get mad? They thought that it was not good. They were like, this isn't good friendship. It was like, if somebody starts dumping emotionally on you, for you to write back, hey, uh, now's not a really good time for me. Like, please check in. I'm going to check in later. Or like saying before you dump on someone going, hey, I'm about to talk about my eating disorder. Is it okay? I know you might struggle with food. Is it okay for me to do this? Will it be triggering for you if I if I talk to you about this? And then a bunch of people were like, that is this most sanitized version of friendship. Like that is like a form letter for friendship. Like how could, you know, like oh, people I were- I disagree. I kind of dis- Like people really hated it. Oh, because she was saying like, um, are you in an emotionally stable enough place to handle information that could hurt you? And then someone was like, well, that would give me so much anxiety, like blah, blah, blah. And it was like, well, I think you have to like let them know what it's about. You know, I think yeah. you could be like, hey, I'm like, I'm just got in a big fight with my mom. Like, is it okay if we talk about that now? Or it's like now not a good time. It's now not a good time. Or is it something that's going to trigger you? Like, yeah. But I think people want, this is the problem is I think people want to use other people as dumping grounds mm -hmm. and that is a big problem in friendships is like not being able to read the room and just being like my friend should be able to handle all of my emotions immediately i should be able to dump on, my on them timeline. on my timeline yeah and like there's not a lot of self-soothing and i am a hundred percent self-soothing like my first instinct is never to call someone yeah i would never like I never I, – I take care of everything on my own. But that's not how other people are and that's also probably a problematic like leftover from my childhood. But then I have to realize that there is such a thing as, as platonic intimacy. You can call friends for help. That is not weird if someone calls you for help. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? But I think you have to then be cognizant of like have I called this person three times in one week for exactly. help? Exactly. You know, so I think it's really just about like being more aware of stuff both like – your actions and the other person's actions and how they're responding to you. And, like, it has to be a give and take mm -hmm. in, a, in any social interaction. In a friendship, but in, in a relationship, in any social in interaction, it has to be a give and take. Like, the other person should be cognizant of you. You should be cognizant of them. Like, but it's hard. It's really hard. And I don't want to, again, I'm not diagnosing myself. But for me, it is not natural. Yeah, so it's a skill. That's the whole thing. It's like, and I think that the more that you do it, the more you get used to it, and then you just start to do it naturally. Yes, it is more natural. Like, I'll write to Mal, how are you? And they always laugh because they're like, they know, they're like, are you doing this because you think you have to? Well, you honestly didn't even grow up saying please and thank you. No. So, like, that basic social skill was something you had to, like, learn as an adult. But I'm teachable. I don't want people to feel bad because there are people that's just not natural to them. Oh, absolutely. And I think that it's not really natural to 
anyone. I just think some people, it's programmed in when they're kids versus when they're adults. Oh, yeah. So it's a little easier and it feels more natural. But, like, this is all 100% just, like, weird societal stuff that we've, like, set up as a group. Yeah. So don't feel bad for it not being natural or anything. But I think it's something – I think it helps to think about it as something you can work on. It's just frustrating, especially if you're, like, not neurotypical. It's really frustrating because especially to me, sometimes it feels like the rules are changing and I don't understand why. But then you can check in with somebody. That's true. You can say, was that okay? Yeah. Or you can be like, you know, you can like ask me or like be like, what do you do in this situation? And, you know, there's some situations where there's no clear answer. Yeah. And part of that is just learning that that's the case. Tamika, come on in and tell us who has better social skills. Oh, my God. None of us. (laughs) Hello. 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 Who has better social skills? Yeah, me or Gabby. I'm a terrible judge. I have terrible social skills, so I would I would not be a fair a fair judge. Can I you over apologize? I do. Yes. Why? <laughs> um I think I was trained to. Mhm. Yeah, weren't all of us at this table trained? I don't just... know, cuz you you apologize for things that I'll be like, "Why?" <laughs> do I? Yes, you'll be like, "I'm so sorry. That email was rude." And I'll be like, "It was a perfectly normal email to me." <laughs> Well, I'm always afraid I'm offending someone. Yeah. But no, I think that, you know, society and our families and just culture just train us to apologize. And especially in the workplace, you don't want to offend anyone that you want to have a good working relationship with. I actually don't like it when someone tells me to stop apologizing. It's like, I'm allowed to apologize if I want to. Like, if I feel bad, I'll say I'm sorry. Yeah, that's fair. (laughs) You know, like, I think that there is, like, this now, this idea that, like, apologizing too much is weak, but, like... It's a choice, like and any other choice. I guess it's kind. It's like extra checking in. Yeah, I just don't want, like, like when I say I'm sorry in, like, a situation like that, then, like, then that's the end of it for me. But, like, I'm worried that, like, sometimes when people over-apologize, they're then, like, really anxious about what had happened and what led them, and they hold on to it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Versus mm-hmm. just, like, apologizing in the moment and moving on. Yeah, it's over. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. But that's more like anxiety than social skills. Yeah. I will say I've been trying to work on it because now it annoys me when people expect women specifically to apologize. Mm -hmm. I see it all the time. I hear a guy say, oh, it's fine before a woman even apologizes. Mm -hmm. Like just expecting that apology or expecting a thank you for something they didn't do. And that like – that really drives me crazy. Yeah. I actually enjoy, like, you've sent me emails and then you've written underneath that email and been like, I'm sorry, that email is really short. And I didn't notice it at all. I'm like, yeah, wh- that's how I've I... I've never gotten that kind of email from you. I don't remember sending that kind of you've email. You've sent twice, you've been like, sorry, that email is really short. And I'm like, no, I was, there was, we were talking logistics. Like, that's a fine interaction. <laughs> it's like, you'll be like, sorry, that was like, cause I'll, you know, you'll be like, okay, we're going to meet at this time. And I'll be like, great. And you'll be like, great. And then you'll be like, sorry, I didn't mean to just say great, like nothing. Like, and, and I'll be like, what? Tamika, what? Second guessing how I interact with people socially. Yeah. That's why I'm bad at socializing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that you can just like have a couple of like, rules or guidelines that you want to follow and then you just let it go Mm -hmm. yeah like that's the whole that's the whole thing for it for me is that like because i've now like learned how to act in the moment i can then like let it go later yeah versus like going in blind and being like what did i do and be honest with people if someone does something that you think is rude tell them no i don't do that why us i'm afraid of some people oh my god okay well what do we rate this episode (laughs) (laughs) i rate it I rate it uh, eight out of eight venisons in the freezer. Oh, I hate hunting. I don't support hunting, but I do support their love. <laughs> what a beautiful love story. I know. They're very cute. They're super cute. Um, I will rate it seven out of six. Make your mom read those medical articles. Nice. Tamika. Did you like the episode? I really did. I loved uh, your conversation with uh, Ashley. She's fascinating. She's so smart. I related to her a lot because I'm from Missouri, and uh, Mm. we seem to have similar situations growing up. Um, I loved her. I wish we could have her on the show again. 
Maybe oh, we can. She's our three hundredth episode. <laughs> she, she's uh, on an episode of in season one of Bad with Money too. If you guys want to go check that out, you can find her on my other podcast, Bad with Money. Nice plug. Thanks. Thank you, Ashley Ford, for being our guest. Just Between Us is hosted by me, Allison Raskin. And me, Gabby Dunn. Our engineer is Brendan Burns. He also composed our killer theme music. Our producer is Tamika Weatherspoon. And our supervising producer is Josephine Martirana. Our executive producer is Chris Bannon. Just Between Us is a production of Stitcher. Everyone go watch White Men Can't Jump. <laughs> Stitcher.